0: Everyone and welcome to this edition of the sunshine boys podcast and of course that means we welcome ira kaufman and joe henderson tim williams with us and we have a very special guest today brett mcmurphy and brett is the college insider that breaks a ton of stories um he breaks more stories than i break dishes so brett thank you very much for joining us and um you know it's been a wild week with regard to colleges, and you were one of the first to announce that uh, the new Gator coach. Why don't you talk a little bit about that uh, hire and and what you think of uh, the move by Dan coming back to uh, to Gainesville?
1: Uh, I think it was a good move for Florida. I know that you know they they talked to Chip Kelly. They met with him up in New Hampshire. Um, I, I really didn't think that Chip would be a good fit at Florida. I understand why you talk to him. You have to talk to him. He was the most attractive free agent candidate out there. Um, you know, they, they kind of kicked the tires with Scott Frost. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I can I confirm that they also had discussions, phone conversations with Mike Gundy. Uh, and then ultimately they, they ended up with Dan Mullen. I mean, he's obviously a former assistant at the University of Florida unbelievable job developing quarterbacks Tim Tebow, Dak Prescott, Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, I think what he's done at Mississippi State is kind of undervalued by a lot of people. I don't think they realize what a tough job that is. You know, all I know is every uh every every July when I'm in uh, Hoover, Alabama for the SEC Media Days, they they roll out the preseason SEC polls and every year Mississippi State is either last or second to last in the SEC West and then you get to December and every year Mississippi State's got an 8 nine, ten win season. So, uh I think you give him the facilities of Florida and, and the recruiting fan base there and and uh it it's a solid hire by Florida. Uh with that said, the Gator fans are expecting an SEC East title right away. This is not a rebuilding project. Uh and but we'll see if they can get it uh get back to the old fun and gun days of uh, of Spurrier and and the success that they had under Urban Meyer,
0: Joe Henderson.
1: Um, Brett, what's your read
2: on uh, Jimbo Fisher and what's happening at FSU?
1: Yeah, well, we're we're taping this on uh, Thursday, so I'm not. There are reports that he actually won't coach Saturday's game against Louisiana Monroe. That things have have gone si- sideways that far. Um, don't know if you you guys saw there was a video came out last night at his call-in show where a, a fan walked up. I'll give the fan credit. walked right up to him with the microphone and asked the coach question portion of the show, and he said, where is the loyalty? Uh, and he kind of laughed it off. Deckerhoff laughed it off. Um, and then they promptly <laughs> escorted the guy out of the room. But there are reports that the deal at Texas a and is already done. I, I really, you know, I think in the last week or so i I've, I was skeptical he would leave but now it seems almost a certainty to the fact that there's there's some Tallahassee reports that he won't even coach Saturday's game that would be mind-boggling if, if that happened but I, I literally had an agent tell me last night said Brett the, the college game has changed it's become the NFL and and basically hit by saying that he was he was saying, so don't be surprised if you see guys leave in the middle of the season and before the season's over for other jobs. And obviously Jimbo Fisher is the perfect example. If Texas A&M gets Jimbo Fisher, it's an unbelievable hire for them. If they don't get Jimbo Fisher, then I have no clue what they're going to do because he is simply their top first three options, and they don't have a plan B. So it should be fascinating over the next uh, 48 hours. Let me
2: do a follow up here. Uh, let's assume that Jimbo goes. Um, that's He's going to leave behind a pretty attractive job at, at Florida State. And, uh, you know, we've all read and heard, I'm sure you have too, Brett, um, potential replacements, which FSU has already said to be looking into, uh, and they include uh, our old friend Willie Taggart from USF, now at Oregon. And current USF coach Charlie Strong, Um, do you see either either of those two jumping into the vacancy
1: that Jimbo would leave behind in Tallahassee? Certainly, I think Willie Taggart would be at the top of their list. I mean, you know, you guys are well aware how he rebuilt USF's program after taking over for for Skip Holtz, Um, and his recruiting ties to the state of Florida, a native of Florida. You know, played played high school ball in Bradenton. If Florida State could get Willie, I think that'd be a that'd be a great fit for them. Um, you know, he is at Oregon. I, I reported on Wednesday that Oregon has offered him a one year contract extension, extending his deal out to 2022, five years, about 18 million. Um, but I think the opportunity to come back to Florida is something that Willie couldn't turn down. And, again, it's, it's funny because just think if Willie would have stayed at USF one more year. I mean, he had to take the Oregon job. But what if the Oregon thing wouldn't have happened, if he would have stayed at USF, then literally you would have had last week's usf UCF game, almost like a play-in game to see who may get the Florida job or who may get the Florida State job. Um, and the fact that now he's out west at Oregon, uh, I think maybe he's been forgotten by some people, which is unfortunate because – uh, you know, f- people aren't aware of you know, with Justin Herbert as his quarterback, he was hurt for five games. In those five games, Oregon went one and four, averaged 15 points a game. But when he had a starting quarterback, Oregon was five and one and averaged over 50 points a game. So, uh, I think he'd be a, s- a slam dunk for Florida State, and that would that'd be a huge loss for for Oregon. And I've I've even seen some reports that Oregon's already starting to vet candidates. Because they're fearful that they may may lose Willie to Florida State.
3: Ira. All right. Hey, Brett. When I saw Fisher interviewed a few days ago and directly asked whether he's leaving Tallahassee, uh, <clears throat> Brett, you you and I we rely on our instincts. It's it served us very well. And uh, just looking at Fisher and his non-answer, uh, I believe tells you all you need to know. Uh, I, I think he's gone now. My question for Mr. McMurphy, who, by the way, has been doing some outstanding work in the last couple of weeks. I won't talk about what he's done before that, but he's really uh, (laughs) on the top of his game. Uh, Brett, what has soured in Tallahassee? Uh, They're getting the quarterback back next year. Uh, This program uh, is not going to stay down for long, Brett. Uh, Did some of the board of trustees sour on uh, Jimbo or the other way around? Or... What, what has prompted this, uh, this shocking move?
1: You know, I, I think, you know, in the past he had been sought after by LSU not only once but twice he turned them down. I think what's happened is it's funny, you know, what have you done for me lately? Here's a guy that, that took Florida State to a national championship. Um, but since then, some of the FSU fans are like, well, what have you done since Jameis has left? You know, you you haven't had the same amount of success. It's almost like, what, you mean we're not going to win a national title every year? And I think it really, you know, came to a head earlier in the season after a home loss and he's walking off the field and he gets into a, you know, shouting confrontation with the fan. I think there's a lot of frustration there. Um, I know Jimbo in the past, it seemed like was always almost, I don't want to say he was looking to leave. But almost like he would be open to it, but they just kept winning and had so much success that he couldn't leave. And then now this year, the injury to Francois, the 5-6 and season, they had to reschedule the Monroe game to to extend their bowl streak. Um, It's just been a bad year. And then I think – I'm not going to go into the details, but I do think there's some personal issues at work too that now have kind of allowed him to be able to, to leave Tallahassee if he desires. And I think you combine all that with the opportunity to go to the SEC. I know the ACC would, would claim to differ, but it, it has been the best conference in the country, certainly uh, over the last 10 years or so, and to compete in what is arguably the toughest division in, in college football, the SEC West. And, you know, I know the argument, You can. it's easier to win a national title at Florida State than probably Texas A&M. Uh, certainly the sledding is not tougher other than other than Clemson you know you're not going to see out you know in the ACC you're not going to see an LSU an Alabama you know etc you know a rejuvenated Georgia squad um, every week like you do in the SEC but I think it's just he's um, and Ira you know this from from NFL coaches when I referenced the NFL earlier it's almost like Now in colleges like the NFL, they have a shelf life where you can only stay at a place a certain amount of time. And then after that, it's almost like the fans are like, okay, we we want some new blood. Um, And the coaches kind of get that vibe and they're ready to move on. But you're, you're right. I think his non-answer, that tells you everything you need to know the same way Scott Frost was asked about Nebraska. And he's like, you know, let's, let's talk about the kids. I mean, I can respect the coaches for at least not flat out lying and saying, no, I'm coming back, and then they're gone 48 hours later, but I think you're right, Ira. You can read into that answer basically on what's going on.
4: Tim? A lot of college football coaching moves are about going to a more attractive program. We mentioned Scott Frost. UCF is on the rise. He has them on the rise, but the perception is he would want to go to a place like a Nebraska where he went as well and played himself to, to further his career. But then you look at Jimbo Fisher, potentially, if not probably leaving Tallahassee for Texas A&M, a team that by the way, hasn't won a national title since 1939. And you look at maybe the idea of Willie Taggart leaving Oregon to go to FSU. it Where's the balance of power right now in college football? Is it, is it about money? Is it, you mentioned it's about maybe taking a challenge for Jimbo Fisher about maybe just getting into in fresh faces and changing things out. But is there a balance of power issue where programs that we ex, uh, expect or some of the most attractive jobs in the country maybe aren't.
1: Well, I think well one thing the the power rests with the power five conferences. So, when you talk about Scott Frost and Willie Taggart leaving pro, their programs to Nebraska and Oregon, those guys are getting to the power conferences because all you have to do is look at the college football rankings this week. UCF undefeated 14 and 0 and skip 14 and 0, excuse me, 11 and 0. And they're ranked 14th in the country. They're behind, you know, two lost teams, three lost teams. You know, I would argue if Alabama was 6-6, six and six, they'd probably be ranked above UCF. Is that fair? No, but that's how the selection committee views the group of five schools. And it's very simple. You cannot win a national championship at a group of five school. So if you're a group of five coach and you aspire to win a national championship, you got to get to a power five school. That's just how the reality of college football nowadays. When you have coaches going from a Power Five school to another Power Five school, like we're referencing about Jimbo, Florida State to Texas A&M, coaches that make those those type of moves, or Dan Mullen going from Mississippi State to Florida. I, unlike you know years ago um, when we were off the Tampa Tribune, I don't think it's about money anymore because everyone's going to make a boatload of money. I think it's more about personal preference, or maybe the the best fit, or where you're comfortable, or maybe where your family wants to live, um, those sort of things. I mean, Mullen going from Mississippi State to Florida, yeah, he's going to make more money. But this wasn't about money. It's he can have a better opportunity to win. He's got a better recruiting base. Um, for Jimbo to go from Florida State to Texas A&M, um, you know, it, he's. You know had enough in Tallahassee, he wants to be challenged more at texas a and m Yes, he's gonna make more money um I would argue that Dan Mullen would have gone to Florida for the same money that he's as he made at Mississippi State, and I think Jimbo Fisher would go to texas a m for the same money he made at Florida State, so when you <clears throat> excuse me when you move within the power leagues, I think it's more where it's personal preference, it's not money. But then when you go from a group of five conference to a power five, it is a huge bump in money, but it's also to be able to compete uh, for a national championship because, unfortunately, the way the way everything's stacked up now with the playoff and the, and the bowl bids and everything else, um, it's really created a huge gap between the power conference schools and the group of five conference schools. That's unfortunate. I don't like it, and people think I'm always dissing the group of five because I, I report repeatedly report that and tweet that. But that's just the reality, you know. That's just that's just how it is and and um you're always gonna see guys leave and wanna wanna go to the uh the highest level they can.
0: Brett, what are you hearing out in Nebraska? Um, a couple of people I've spoken to said that they will um they've got frost in that they'll make that announcement after the game on Saturday. Is that what you're hearing?
1: I don't know if you know we're talking about the the clock hits zero and then they're passing out the release that Frost in Nebraska. But yeah, I, I would say within 48 hours, Frost will will be the the announces the next Nebraska coach. The one thing that I that I haven't been able to confirm is if UCF wins if they beat Memphis Saturday they they'll go to the Peach Bowl, um, most likely to play the Georgia Auburn loser. I don't know if Frost will stick around to coach that game. Um, you know, obviously he he's been emotional talking about this year, what he's done at UCF, the the only team in the history of college football to go from you know winless zero and twelve to possibly an undefeated season in only two years. Um, you know, but obviously if he has a new job, he's got to hit the ground running, especially with the new early signing period. So yeah, I mean Frost is Frost is. Uh, headed to nebraska i i can't tell you exactly when it's going to happen i do know i was told uh that you expect frost to get uh, 35 million for seven years to go to nebraska um which isn't a bad uh isn't a bad job if you can get it
0: now and what i heard is that um tom osborne is the one who said that uh what he wanted to do or what he wanted to he advised, I should say, the Nebraska people is to let Scott get to twelve and zero. He wanted him to get a perfect season, and um, or at least have the opportunity to get a perfect season. And that's why they didn't push.
1: Well, they, could, but, they certainly were not going to ask him to leave before the conference championship game. I don't, I don't think right. that's realistic, or anyone would ever consider that. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, does Scott want to stay with the program? and coach the bowl game. I Again, total speculation. If he's named Nebraska coach after the conference championship game, he will not coach in the Peach Bowl. Right, right. Uh, Brett, Joe? You, uh,
2: uh, yeah, Brett, I, I thought I saw something that you posted the other day um, that was interesting uh, in light of what you're saying about the gap between uh, the group of five and the power five. Um, That the 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 secondary group should start its own playoff system because they're never going to be able to crash that that power five uh, party. Now, as you know, the American Athletic Conference has been pushing to be called the Power Six, and and that's what they're what they're aiming toward and all that. Realistically, do you ever see a a playoff in that second group? Because I think it'd be a great
1: idea. Yeah, I think that. The biggest hurdle you'd have to overcome is the perception that the that the group of 5 is cannot compete with the power 5. Even though that's the reality and you can you know, we're in the fourth year of the playoff, the highest ranked group of 5 team is number 13, Memphis in year 1. So in 4 years of the playoff, the committee has never ranked a group of 5 team higher than 13th, much much less try to compete for a playoff. So Anybody that thinks the group of five is ever going to make the playoff is delusional at best because it will never happen. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's fair. It's just the committee, how the committee ranks the teams. They value strength of schedule. And when you look at the group of five conference schedules, they can have some impressive out of conference wins. No question about it. And I'm not saying they can't beat power five teams on any Saturday, but then you look at their conference schedules and it gets watered down so much when you're playing East Carolina and Yukon and uh, Rice and, you know, we can go through the entire laundry list of, of group of five schools. Because of that, they'll, they'll never get in the playoff. So my suggestion is create a playoff for the group of five with, with two caveats. One, you still have the college football playoff rankings, include the group of five schools. And if a group of five school ever gets into the top four, then they would go to the current playoff setup, but that's never going to happen. But if it does, they would still qualify for it. They could make an ex- exception in the rule the same way they've made an exception in the rule to allow Army and Navy to play after the final uh, playoff rankings and and um, be able to change the, the bowls if if it impacts those rankings. So they have made an exception for Army and Navy. They could make an exception for this and i would argue it would create more interest in the group of 5 because instead of okay once a year you're going to see a western michigan or a ucf or a boise state play a group of excuse me play a power 5 team in one bowl game you'd actually have four conference champions from the group of 5 leagues you know using their current bowls and and you know kind of like they do in the in the college football playoffs and the other the other stickler, or maybe the main stickler behind just the perception that it's going to be the NIT compared to the NCAA, which I would argue it already is, um, is money. I've talked to Power Five um, people at different schools. They would love for the group of five not to take one of those New Year's Six Bowl games. However, they can't say that publicly. Um, but if the group of Five ever decided to go that route. I'm told that they would give them the same money not to participate in it because but they can't they can't approach them or ask them to do that because then it looks like they're pushing them out in fact, while we've been doing this call, I had a a commissioner from the group of five level text me and say, "How in the world is the power Five going to give us money?" not to participate in the playoff, and I basically told them, look, they can't say it publicly, but they'd love not to have you involved. That's why, I don't know if people notice, a group of five team can never play in the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, or the Orange Bowl, never, because those, those bowls are contracted to the Power Five conferences. So they basically lock those conferences out because they don't want them in those games because they value those games so much. Um, so they've already shut them out of three of the six bowl games. Um, I, I just think, again, and I don't like I don't like this, but because of conference realignment, the way the conferences have have grown, it's just created a huge gap between the Power Five and the Group of Five, and it's only going to continue to get bigger. In a perfect example, I'll wrap this up. Every Power Five school now is making between about twenty-five to, up the 40 million per school on meteorites. The group of five conferences don't even make that as a conference. So you've got teams making more money on meteorites than entire conferences are making. Those conference, non power conferences, cannot compete long term and try to keep up with these power five schools. And that's unfortunate. And so, yeah, Joe, so that's a reason I think they should kind of decide. You know what? This we need to do something different. I mean, there's June Jones suggested they should go and, and move their games to the spring, and just have their own season. I don't think that's realistic because of a number of reasons, the draft and other things, recruiting and all that. But I think they've got to do something. And there there are people that agree with me. The problem is, if a group of five schools, the problem is if you say that publicly, then you're admitting that you're not on equal terms with with the power five and nobody is ready to do that
0: ira kaufman joe henderson uh quick question for you and to brett you know you know greg shiano um yep. what the hell happened in the situation in tennessee i don't
3: what
2: happened that. was uh mob rule um it, it that was an, that's an incredible story, uh, and and I'm sure Brett can can shed even more light on it. But just my impression from watching that was that people, you know, Shiano has this reputation of being difficult to uh, to work with. Whether that's fair or not, that is the truth, and and Ira knows that. Um, he. Uh, was a control freak. We saw that here in in Tampa and rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, didn't win, got fired. Um, But the guy can flat coach. And um, so when Tennessee apparently, you know, they had the deal closed, there was a a memorandum of of understanding that, that both parties signed and that got out. They started tarring him with this whole association with the uh, horrible events at Penn State. Turns out that he had already been vetted on all that and and had no connection to it. But that didn't matter. It was a flash fire at that point. And um, my my issue with that is, I I really do think that that uh, Shiano has grounds for damages, and I would. Further say, why would any coach in their right mind want to go to Tennessee right now? That place is a train wreck. I yield the floor to Ira or Brett.
3: All right. I'd like to ask Brett this question, Jim. Brett, your understanding of the situation in Knoxville. Uh, was this was this reaction all about 100 or 150 students rebelling? Um, Brett or does it go deeper than that in terms of uh boosters politicians and Brett if it's boosters and board of trustees uh why weren't they um why weren't they part of the process why why didn't they know what the AD was doing in terms of hiring Greg Schiano well why does it look like it was a it was a surprise to all these movers and shakers I don't quite understand the process Brett weren't they uh weren't they informed what the ad was planning to do
1: you know it's ira i think it's you know basically the the i think it started on social media um that you know word got out that they were talking to shiano that they were close to to, to locking him up you know they they did sign a uh you know, an agreement, if you will. It was not signed by the university chancellor. So I know uh, Joe mentioned legal legal uh, possibilities. So you know, let, we'll let those people that are a lot smarter than us figure that out. Um, but I think the thing that troubled me the most was just the the re- the mob mentality was was ridiculous. First of all, but I can understand that. But the thing that bothered me the most is that they were trying to justify it by saying that he had knowledge of the Sandusky stuff at Penn State. There's one reference from Mike McQuarrie, former Penn State quarterback, and when he was taking a deposition for an insurance claim where he mentioned that um, Tom Bradley told him that Greg Schiano knew something or whatever. So it's not only secondhand, it's thirdhand. It's telephone tag. There's never been any evidence that indicated Shiano had any knowledge of it. So it's basically hearsay. So what the Tennessee fan base did is they used that to trump up all this outrage about we can't have someone that knew about child, you know, child abuse coming to our school and that's what they played up. And they kept, you know, trumpeting that and beating the drum on all that, which was total it's just 100% BS. Because I would sit here and argue that if John Gruden had the same, quote, baggage as Shiano supposedly had at Penn State, the voluntary re- fan base reaction would be, John, will you sign a lifetime contract? They didn't want him because they didn't think he was a good coach. They didn't think he was a good coach at Rutgers. Maybe they didn't like how he turned out with the Bucks. Maybe they don't think Ohio State's that good on defense this year. Whatever the reason, they didn't think he was a good coach. And they use hearsay involving the Sandusky situation to kind of take this high high moral ground. I think it makes Tennessee's fan base look like a bunch of yahoos. And you want to know why nobody wants to go there. It's not because the administration or the athletic director or the facilities or anything like that. It's because they see a fan base and how they rea- reacted to Greg Shiano, Um whether you, you – you know, think he's a good coach or not, you know, like you guys, I know Greg, I think he's a, I think he's a great man. Um, you may not think he's a good coach. Fine. I, you, you know, you, you have some valid points there, um, but just to railroad him like that. That's why no, nobody wants to go there because what if you lose two two or three games in a row, then all of a sudden they're going to be painting the rock in Knoxville that you need to be fired and, and the mob will want to bring somebody else in. So, you know, look, fans should ha- should be able to have a say, um, you know, but just the way they went about it, trying to justify it for reasons that had nothing to do, that, that are 100% false, I thought was horrific. And basically right now, Tennessee fans are getting what they deserve, and that's a, a long, drawn-out coaching search. And, you know, whoever they get, it's not going to be, you know, Ira, you know this better than anybody. John Gruden's never going to go coach at Tennessee. And the oh, people trying. that are delusional enough to think that that's going to happen are the same ones that are saying Shiano's involved in all this stuff with Sandusky. It's it's a sad, sad situation, and I've never in my you know, 85 years covering college football, I've never experienced or seen anything like it.
0: Well, when Skip Holtz was named their new head coach, then they'll figure it out. <laughs>
1: I will quote you on that. I will give you credit. <laughs> it's heard here first when that happens.
0: Okay, Fred. I appreciate it. Um
3: now, Jim, we do uh Jim, we do have to talk about the uh the college football playoff situation, James, don't we? With uh, Of
0: course. Ira, go ahead.
3: Guests. Go for it. All right. <clears throat> All right, Brett, Let's go right to the heart of it. Um Ohio State beats Wisconsin as they are favored to do Mr. McMurphy other teams, uh, other teams hold form, and and here we go. Uh, what will happen? Alabama versus Ohio State. What should happen, Brett? Alabama versus Ohio State.
1: Well, I'm not going to say what should happen because that doesn't matter. What will happen and how I think the committee will will go with this. And I, for the past three weeks, on my bowl projections, I've had Ohio State in the playoff with two losses. I think the committee puts Ohio State in over Alabama. I'm basing that on a couple of things. One, the committee values conference championships a great deal. I know we we conveniently forget about that, but we will be reminded about it every December, so write it on your forehead for all those listening. They value conference championships a great deal. Now, I know the first reaction to that is, well, last year Ohio State didn't win the conference championship. Last year Ohio State had three top ten wins, as many as everybody else in the playoff field. They had the best resume of anybody in college football. They lost to Penn State by one point on a blocked field goal that was, you know, a, a, you could say it was a fluke, but Penn State won. Their resume was so much stronger than everyone else. That's why they got in without winning a conference championship. Ira, in your example, if you compare Alabama to Ohio State, and we'll say if 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 the favorites went out, Boise beats Fresno State, so that knocks Fresno out of the top 25. So Alabama will have two top 25 wins this year, LSU and a Mississippi State team that's hovering around 22 or 23. Ohio State will have had three top 25 wins, including the only loss to a previously undefeated Wisconsin team that is currently at number four. I think they value the conference championships. I think if it was any other team in Alabama and you looked at your, their resume, you'd say they have no shot. But because Alabama garners so much respect, and rightfully so, I think they're getting the benefit of a doubt, which I don't think is a – this is not a a, a as, as good of an Alabama team as Saban has had in the past. I think it's it's down a little bit. And the other key thing is, I think the the I know they want the four best teams, and I know the definition of best differs with everybody, but I I think very strongly about this. I don't believe they want two teams from one conference. That's the last thing they want to do, and so if Ohio in your scenario if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, I think they get over, I think they get over Alabama, and uh, the good news for. You know, for all this media types, is we'll have we'll have endless amount of of uh, subject matter for the next three weeks because no matter what they do, if they put Alabama in, if they keep Alabama out, you're going to have one fan base saying they got screwed. Um, but we'll have to see. The one thing, and I, you know, I'm I'm projecting Ohio State in. I it doesn't matter to me if they win or not. I actually do want Ohio State to win for this reason. I want the committee to have a tough decision. I think the first three years, they've skated by. They haven't had any tough decisions, although I I still think TCU got screwed in year one. If they have to pick between a two-loss Ohio State team that got clubbed by um, Iowa versus a a one-loss Alabama team that didn't win the conference, we would finally find out kind of how the committee... Views a best team. So a little long winded there. But ultimately, I, I think they go with Ohio State. Jim. I am
2: just sitting here uh, trying to fathom the reaction from Nick Saban and the people of Alabama. If Ohio State leapfrogs the Crimson Tide, I think they've killed, they made, killed
1: trees for last year.
2: Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> that's a great point. Paul um, Feinbaum um,
0: would have to be put in a room.
2: Um, it, I mean, some of those guys would need witness protection. I mean, it would, it would be the meltdown of all meltdowns, and for that reason, that, that'd be entertaining. I'd like to see it.
0: Kim, you have a question for Brett.
4: Yeah, I. when we're talking about things that could create chaos in the college football playoff and make it very difficult for the committee, I look at Saturday night's game between Miami and Clemson, and I wonder what would happen if Miami wins that game. Now, Clemson's number one in the college football playoff rankings. Miami's number seven, but they would still have to leapfrog an Alabama team that's already made, other than losing to Auburn, a pretty convincing case and they would have to leapfrog. Wisconsin would have to lose. I would, I would guess Georgia might have to lose, or you know, someone in the SEC is going to lose, obviously. But Clemson versus Miami, is that a play-in game, or could Miami win that and still not make the college football playoff?
1: I really think <clears throat> excuse me, the ACC and the SEC games are play-ins, that no matter who wins, Auburn, the Auburn-Georgia winners in the playoff, the Clemson Miami games in the playoff. Some people think though, what you brought up is actually if Miami beat Clemson, if it's a close game, if it's a fluky game, is there any way the committee keeps Clemson in and doesn't put Miami in? I don't think that's going to happen because then it's like, why do we even play the games if you're not going to use the results? And certainly head-to-head is a big factor that the committee um, uses. And, I, you know, I referenced the T- TCU in year one. Baylor jumped in front of TCU because of the head-to-head matchup. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I look at the ACC as a play-in game. I mean, Miami would jump Alabama because Alabama doesn't have a conference championship. Um, you know, only one SEC team would be be above Miami. Um, And so, yeah, they would get in. Um, That's the way I don't – the one, if you want chaos, then root for TCU to beat Oklahoma because then I don't know what they're going to do. Some people think Oklahoma could still get in because, because they would still have top 25 wins against potentially Big Ten champ Ohio State. They will have had top 25 wins against TCU in the regular season, Oklahoma State, at Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, top twenty team. Uh, so if you if you want chaos, you want Ohio State and TCU to win, and Miami to win because then you're going to have potentially an eleven and two Clemson that's not a conference champion. You're going to have eleven and one Alabama that's not a conference champion. You're going to have twelve and one Wisconsin that's not a conference champion. So again, going back to the the original our original theme do they really value conference champions that much? I think we'll find out. So if you want, we all have chaos Root for the horned frogs and the Buckeyes.
0: <laughs> all right, boys. Um, any final questions to Brett McMurphy?
3: Hey, one quick one, Brett. Um, with, uh, USF's quarterback moving on, Brett, two parts. One, um, uh, could he be drafted, uh, Brett, and, and play another position at the pro level? And two, um, with Flowers gone, can USF sustain uh, its success, Brett, in, in the next few years?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, i you know the NFL better than anybody. I mean, I think he'll get a chance, uh, you know, ultimately to to see if maybe it's a, a running back or, or maybe another position. Um, you know, the NFL game's changing a little bit more towards the college game, but you can't – quarterbacks can't run in the NFL for, you know, the oh, NFL not for long. So I don't see him playing um, quarterback, but you never know. It just takes – you know, people took chance on Patrick Mahomes. Um, people questioned whether he could do it. Kansas City, you know, drafted him. I think he's obviously going to get a shot on somebody's NFL roster, and I, you know, he's an unbelievable kid. I hope he makes it. Um, you know, I think I think USF will continue to have a great deal of success. I think USF and UCF going forward should dominate the American. There's no reason why they shouldn't with the with the recruiting base down here. Um, you know, the the all the advantages to being in Florida compared with the other schools in that conference the only the only thing that's challenging and you know having covered usf it's it's really hard for usf fans is they used to be in the big east they used to be part of the the automatic qualifying six conferences that were part of the the power structure and now they're not um and so they can basically go 12 and 0 10 and 2 11 and 1 every year but they can't compete for a national title and how, how you know how difficult of a mindset is that knowing that you're not going to have a chance. I know, you know, I'm sure you guys heard the same thing. Hey, before this season, look at the schedule. If USF goes 12 and 0, you know, can they get into the playoff? And I, everyone I talked to, I said no, they can't because of all the reasons we discussed. But that's the point you're at. At you're at now. You, you're trying to go 12 and 0, and so if you don't go 12 and 0, is it a letdown? If, if we got. <laughs> Have we gotten to the point where you know we remember the opener against Kentucky Wesleyan back in '97, 80 to three? <laughs> Have we gone from that game to now USF is is actually disappointed by a 10 and two season? If so, that those are pretty huge strides. But um, unfortunately, you've got to you've got to change change the goals. You know, from trying to compete uh, for a national championship. Um, you know, days back when they were in the Big East, when I think they they had a shot if they won that league, to now just you know dominate the American and maybe be the kind of maybe be the new Boise State of the uh, of the of the smaller conferences.
0: Tim Tim Williams and then Joe Henderson will close it out. Go ahead.
4: Brett, suppose you were on the the committee to award an unofficial championship to the best college football team in the state of Florida. Has Miami already won that championship or should they lose to Clemson? Would that be UCF who looks to be going undefeated?
1: Um no, I it would be Miami. I mean, as good as as good as UCF is, um, and believe me, they've been They've been unbelievable, but when you look at UCF's victories, um, who's their best victory right now? It's USF. Well, USF ha- is 10-2. and 2. They have 10 of their wins. None of them are against teams with a winning record. The two losses were to the only teams with winning records. UCF has one win over a team that has a winning record this year, and that's Memphis. So is is as a excuse me for FIU, um, if FIU beats um, UMass this week. So basically UCF, believe me, they've dominated everybody, but their strength of schedule um, is not that strong. So no, I'd say I'd say Miami's the best team. However, I'd love to see, I'd love to see those guys in a game. And you know, even though with my long my long rant on uh, the Power Five and Group of Five. Make no mistake, I think any group of five teams can beat a power five team. I just think over the long haul, um, it's hard to keep up with the Joneses when the, the revenue disparity is so different. But, um, you know, who would have thought <laughs> – I think you guys would agree. Who would ever have thought in our lifetime that we, we would see a day where, where the UCF-USF game was without question not only the best team involving – Teams from the state, but arguably the best team of the year or the best game of the year on a national basis and it all it you know almost you know kind of makes me chuckle when I think back to the old days when when u s f put up the billboard uh off of malfunction junction that said uh, welcome to the big four uh u s f miami Florida, and Florida State you know you have to put u c f in there now too
0: Jill henderson
1: um First off, I
2: would second what uh, Brett just said about the USF-UCF game. And I would argue um, that even in losing that game, USF gained more national prestige than they did in any of uh, their other wins this season. That was just a phenomenal football game from start to finish. And it was a great, great advertisement for the so-called group of five and proof that you don't have to be uh, watching a Power Five uh, game to to appreciate good football. But my question would be uh, a guy we haven't talked about today, uh, our old buddy Lane Kiffin, who's done a pretty good job down at uh, Florida Atlantic and has had a a great time here recently uh, just mocking and trolling uh, his old school at Tennessee. But, Brett, what are you hearing about him? Is he going to be – is his name going to come up on any of these uh, coaching vacancies uh, that would be a step up from Florida Atlantic?
1: You know, Joe, um, Lane, without question, is the best follow on Twitter. (laughs) I mean, it's it's comical. He's – you know, he – oh, my God, he's beautiful. the thing is when you're at a group of five school, you can do that. Um when you're at a power five school it doesn't uh it doesn't look so great, you know? And so nobody has ever questioned what he does on the field. I think I actually think he didn't get enough credit at Alabama. He had three different starting quarterbacks at Alabama. They won the uh the SEC title every year. They put up record offensive numbers, what he's done at Florida Atlantic this year. Has never been done before at the school. But the biggest question mark for athletic directors is, has he matured off the field? And as much as we love what he's doing on Twitter, and it's entertaining and the fans love it, I'm not sure if the athletic directors, especially at the Power Five schools, Necessarily um, want their head coach doing some of those things. And again, believe me, I love Lane, but after they beat Marshall, he goes on mm-hmm. Twitter and references a tweet that says he took an intentional safety because he didn't want to cover the spread. Now he's joking. Yeah. he's not. I'm not saying he didn't throw a game. I'm not saying he influenced the point spread. Anything like that. he did that to win a game. But you don't. You don't go on Twitter and joke about. intentionally not covering the spread so that's some of the things that he's got to realize on his own um i think when and if he does he will get another shot at a power five school i don't see him going anywhere i think he'll be back at florida florida atlantic next year but maybe after next year he gets a chance to uh to show what he can do at a power five school but he is definitely uh you know must watch uh, on Twitter because you. It's like when does he coach? Because he, I tweet a lot, and he tweets about ten times more than I do. It's <laughs> the uh, my.
3: Uh, I,
1: I don't think there's
2: any doubt about it that the uh, his tweet that Kim Young Un has turned down the Tennessee job. Turned the, down Tennessee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the with the mock of 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 him of Kim Young Un standing on the sidelines in a in a Tennessee jacket. That is the tweet of the year that you know just drop the mic after that one because it's it's over he wins
0: well he's not only good at tweets he's good at
1: memes yeah oh yeah <laughs> he's, he's, yeah well he I mean, played it, off it, of Sabin's rat poison comment um <laughs> you know yeah he's and again it's 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 great it's funny but if you're a if you're a Power Five AD, and I, I did a poll earlier this year saying if you, go, if you were going to make a coaching change, what are some of the things that are at the top of your list? And one, and a lot of them said they want to be able to have a coach where they don't have to worry about getting a call at 3:30 in the morning uh, because the players are having some issues or this coach is having some issues, and that's that's some of the the questions or concerns about about Kiffin. Okay.
0: Brett, um, what are you going to be following this week? Where can we find you on social media and on um, and on the web?
1: Uh, best place is on Twitter at Brett underscore McMurphy. Uh, I will be, uh, you know, eagerly watching all of the conference championship games starting Friday with the Pac-12, and then I will uh, do my up-to-date goal uh, projections. Um, throughout the weekend right now I'm projecting USF to go to go back to Birmingham, but bad news. The good news is I think they could get a power five team in Texas tech, um, which I know the USF wants to try to get a power five team in the bowl game. So as some of these results come in that kind of shuffles these games around. So I'll be posting the, the bowl uh, info as I get it. And then uh, if, if you want to know where the teams are actually going when the when the bowls are announced, I'll be tweeting all that stuff out all day uh, Sunday as soon as I get it.
0: Cool. Then we will follow you as we all do on Twitter. Um, thanks for joining us, and uh, we're going to run down quickly the rest of the guys. Ira Kaufman, you uh, final thoughts from you on what Brett is saying and what you're going to be looking for this week. All right.
3: I'll, I want to thank Mr. McMurphy for joining us for a lively uh, hour. Thanks, Brett. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get me on social media. <laughs> at I Kaufman 76 and I think it's worth noting guys that in a 1-hour discussion on the state of college football uh as we go into December uh the Heisman trophy never came up and I think that's because there's not a lot of mystery about it this year uh, I'll just say that um in mid-year it looked like it was Mr. Barkley's to lose and um and now, uh, five weeks later, uh, there's not a lot of debate that Baker Mayfield, uh, unless Brett wants to weigh in, is going to win this thing so it just shows that uh, you got to wait till the final chips are in. Uh, one of the stupidest things I've ever seen is this preseason Heisman candidate uh, you know listed in uh, in April uh, that that's just crazy. so uh, congratulations uh, to Mayfield. I think he's going to win it. And I think he's going to win it
0: in a landslide. All right, Tim, your social media and any final thoughts on uh, what we've been talking about?
4: Well, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tim Writes Sports. And it won't be a playoff impacting matchup. It won't be anything but a conference championship, but. We've mentioned UCF a few times. The University of Central Florida will host Memphis at Spectrum Stadium, the bounce house, on Saturday at noon. And after the game they played against UCF or USF, which I'll have to agree with both Brett and Joe was one of the games of the year. I, I think this is a must watch of sorts because if UCF can finish the season undefeated, Yes, they don't have a chance at making the playoffs. Yes, the group of 5 is a little bit below the power 5. But you only get the schedule in front of you and if they run the table, they're not going to have Scott Frost next year. This this is going to be the end of an era for them. So in that case you have to kind of root for this for UCF to finish as strong as they can finish to have the undefeated season. So at least they have that to look back on because it seems like anymore with these group of five schools, you once you get a good coach and he starts moving the program in the right direction, you're just counting the time until he goes somewhere else. So at the very least he can get sent off with a bit of a victory lap here.
0: Joe Henderson, close it out, bud.
2: Okay. You can reach me on Twitter at J Henderson Tampa. And I'll play off uh, Tim's comment a little bit, uh, talking about uh, the UCF uh, home stadium, the bounce house, and that great game that we saw them uh, play against USF. And what struck me most was the atmosphere in that on-campus stadium, and um, I know that, that USF in Tampa has been uh, exploring the possibility of building uh uh, an on-campus stadium for the Bulls. And I would urge them to go full speed ahead on this, make it happen. They need to get out of Raymond James Stadium, uh, which is a pro stadium uh, 15 miles from campus and get into a about a 35,000 seat facility right on campus at USF. And uh, if they do that, I believe uh, that that is the next step the program needs to take.
0: Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Now, if you've not yet subscribed, it's easy to do and it's free. You can find us at the iTunes store, at Google Play, at Blog Talk Radio. If you already have downloaded the Stitcher app, which has a plethora of different types of podcasts, well, we're there. All you have to do is type in, the Sunshine Boys podcast and poof you'll get it right to Stitcher. And finally, there's the TuneIn app. And if you're like me, one of the 125 million people who have downloaded the app either to your uh phone or to your tablet, you can get us by just again searching for the Sunshine Boys podcast, then hit the little favorite button and poof you'll get the Sunshine Boys sent to either your phone or your tablet. Every week, no problem. Okay, so five different ways to subscribe to us. Please subscribe today. All right. Special thanks, as always, to Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves, to Tim Williams, and to special guest, college football expert extraordinaire and analyst and insider himself, Brett McMurphy. And Brett, we thank you very much for joining us today because he gave us some really. Good, hot topics, and we hope that uh, you enjoy him and follow him on Twitter, okay? So thanks to Brett McMurphy. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm Jim Williams saying goodbye until next week for the Sunshine Boys podcast.